Startup Cornell, a podcast exploring the bold entrepreneurial ideas coming from our students, faculty, staff, and young alumni. I'm Kathy Hovis, your host, and today we're going to talk with Jaron Petty from the class of 2020, founder and CEO of ColorStack, a nonprofit on a mission to increase the number of Black, Latinx, and Native American college students in computing through community building and career development. I can't wait to hear more about his story. Tell me a little bit about how you came up with ColorStack and what inspired you to start this. Yeah, for sure. So I was a recent, recent, obviously recent grad of Cornell, uh, studied computer science there, graduated in May 2020. And uh, one of the organizations that I built at Cornell, or I shouldn't say built because I didn't found it, but I helped it grow was underrepresented minorities in computing which is a organization that serves uh, the underrepresented students in the computer science and information science majors at Cornell. Uh, so I joined, there were around 15 members and helped them grow to over 250 uh, within three years. And so the success of that work and kind of the demand from people outside of Cornell who were like, we want this at our school, or this should exist at a national level, or there's so much potential here, you know, that was the birth of the idea of ColorStack being a national initiative to kind of scale the work that we did at Cornell. That's awesome. How did you get the, like, how did all these other schools hear about you just through word of mouth or your members or? Yeah, I mean, I think something that I do pretty well is market myself. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty active on social media. Whenever I go on a internship or a conference, I'm always kind of reaching out to people, making connections, and really just wearing my passion on my sleeve, right? Like just making sure that people walk away from conversations with me, knowing what I do, what I care about. And so over the course of four years being an undergrad and going to internships, going to conferences and talking to people, that social capital started to build up over time where now when I posted more about URMC on LinkedIn, people were starting to pay attention and ask me questions. So I had built up this kind of set of eyes, so to speak, that were just kind of watching me and what I was doing. And once this opportunity came around, they kind of came out of the weeds and said, hey, this is relevant to me. Like, I would really love to learn, learn more about this because, you know, we need this at our school or I'm a recruiter and, you know, none of the schools that I recruit at have an org like this. So, you know, can we bring it to more schools? So tell me how things stand right now. Like, what are you in the process of doing right now with your organization? Are you already at other schools? How are things going right now? Yeah, for sure. I actually had a board meeting last night, so all, all this is fresh in my mind. Um, so it's funny that we talked about the whole idea of bringing this to other schools, like um, replicating what we did at Cornell first, because that's actually, that was our strategy. But because of COVID um, and other barriers, we actually... Um, we, we were talking to some schools, we were engaging in partnership conversations with schools like Stony Brook and MIT and Carnegie Mellon, and it was going well until we all realized that like students are coming back to campus. A lot of the focus was just on being able to do school remotely and not about extracurriculars. And so what we did instead was we launched this national community online and it's hosted on Slack. So this is a community that kind of is remote first, where you can come, you can join, you can ask questions in, the, in our forum, so to speak, on Slack, and you can go to the events that we'd host almost weekly. We were doing events weekly. Um, and so the idea there was we didn't, it wasn't a program per se, so we didn't really have any metrics that we're looking to track. We were just trying to create a community, um, and hopefully that would be valuable. And what we found was within the first few months, we've had members that, that joined and said, hey, just being in this community uh, for the summer 
uh, kept me in the major because I was already deciding to leave computer science, but just being here and having fun and talking to people and learning from others and seeing myself um, in a community of other students that are studying computer science was enough for me to say, okay, I can still do this. So that's kind of what we launched with and what we've doubled down on in terms of like formalizing that notion of a community and just really being intentional about the events that we're doing and the moderation of our forum. Um, but now we're moving in a direction of building on top of that. So that's, that's like 60%, 70% of the way, you know, to really providing value to students, right? Because you can only host so many events that are valuable to any student at any given time. So now we're moving in the direction of adding these short-term time-bound programs that you would apply to um, that would solve a specific problem. So if you're specifically looking to get more of an introduction to computer science and you're early in your undergrad, we have a program for you. If you're looking to, you're a junior looking for your first internship, we have a program for you. If you're a senior looking to start a company, we have a program for you. So we're trying to build out these programs that kind of reinforce and strengthen the community because students can kind of be a part of this intensive experience and then throughout the rest of the year still be in our broader community, but with more information, but with more of a reason to kind of contribute and support each other. So who are teaching all these different sessions that you're putting together? Is it other members of the community that are taking that on? Yeah, good question. So at first, it was mostly us trying to put things together, um, getting guest speakers if, if need be. And so this year or this upcoming school year, our main focus is outsourcing as much as possible. So we, we're designing curriculum and basically defining what we want the outcomes of these programs or an individual session to be. But the way that we partner with companies is we say, hey, here's the curriculum. Are you interested in doing that specific workshop in that specific program? And so what it looks like when all this gets put together is, you know, we can run a, a 13 workshop program with 13 different companies that allows us to meet our objectives of teaching the students whatever we want to cover in those 13 workshops, but then they meet objectives of getting in front of students and building that brand equity for when it's time to hire. That sounds like a great opportunity for both of them to, to meet each other. Yeah. Fantastic. So talk a little bit about how you decided to, as a senior in college, choose to focus on this rather than go off and work with another organization. Was that easy to decide or were your parents telling you you've lost your mind or, you know, what? how did you say, okay, this is definitely what I want to do. I feel so strongly about this. Yeah. So I, I kind of mentally made the decision in August, but obviously, like you said, uh, parents concerned. So had to make sure that I was um, being very thoughtful about feasibility of the opportunity. So I, I interned at Google the previous summer, um, my junior year summer as an associate product management intern. And so I accepted a full-time conversion offer in September and October uh, of my senior year. But like I said, I mentally had decided that I was going to start Colorstack, right? What accepting that offer at the time did for me was at least let me know that, okay, well, I have something after college that I for sure can do. And so I'm going to pursue this other opportunity. And if it becomes feasible, we'll have a discussion then at that stage um, about what I will actually decide to do post-grad. But until then, I'm going to be a Google APM right out of college, right? So from October to June, I was on the trail kind of just talking to people. Um, I remember in February or, or March of my senior year, I was doing maybe 30, 50 meetings a week and, you know, doing a senior year course yeah. load. Um, so, it, you know, it kind of, it was a snowball effect, right? You talk to one person, talk to five, they start talking to other people, you get more introductions. And so 
over time that, that social capital kind of compounded and started to connect more dots for me. But it became easiest to say yes once we actually inked an incubation deal. So we got connected to uh, this company called Triple Byte, which is building a platform for software engineers to, to get hired. And so prior to that, we had been talking to a bunch of big companies that I thought would be so eager to support us at this early stage because we were asking for a ton of money just to get us started. And most of them either said no, didn't respond or like connected us to their recruiting division, mm. which didn't have as much budget to do something like crazy like this. And so I was kind of surprised about that. But at the right time, we also got connected to TripleByte, connected with their CEO. And he was like, yeah, like we're not trying to do the same thing the industry has, has done for years and it hasn't worked. We're trying to do something new here. And so we think that if we incubate you and you succeed running the organization, not only would that be good for our business, because we're obviously building a platform to uh, help software engineers get hired, but it'll be good for the industry. And it'll be something that we can do to set a standard for the rest of the industry. And so like, here's a different way to approach the diversity uh, in tech problem. So once we finalized and signed that deal, that's when I was like, hey, I talked to my recruiter. I mean, she was super, super supportive. I, I had known her for years because she's been a Cornell recruiter. So it wasn't even, I was kind of nervous, but not really. It was like a <laughs> right. great conversation. She was super supportive. That does make it a little easier. I'll just to sell it to your parents. And, you know, look at all these people that are supporting me, despite, you know, I'm, I'm getting 50 meetings a week and I've got someone to, to buy into this as well. Now that you are doing this, I'm sure you're working crazy hours and just like always talking to people all over the place. Can you see yourself ever working for someone else? Or do you feel like you have now become like this person who this is what I want to do. I want to have my own organization, my own thing and kind of run it. Do you feel like you're, you're an entrepreneur now for that's, <laughs> that's such ever. a good question. That's such a good question. Because I, I was thinking about this recently, too. I'm like, can you ever go back? Like, once you become a CEO, it's kind of like you never use it. You don't like you don't add stuff to your resume. It's kind of like, what do I do next? Like, what happens after? Uh, and so I do think that I'm now in this realm of you know, either being a CEO of my own company. Um, I think being in tech, it could also transition to me being an investor uh, or just another like early stage company executive. I think to me, in terms of what I want, I definitely don't think I could ever be at the bottom of the food chain again. Like I just, I think what was bothering me a lot in my internships um, was that I wasn't working on the problems that I wanted to. Um, and I also felt like as a young person, I was just getting underestimated a lot, right? And I, I wanted to be a, you know, chief product officer at some, you know, see, I felt like I could do that, right? And so the only way to kind of get there now is by creating that path. And so now that I'm running the organization, I could probably more easily get an executive role three years, five years from now. Yeah, I think it's just all about entrepreneurship from here on out. Mm -hmm. And it feels like even with the idea you have now that, you know, you're focusing now on students who are in college, but I would imagine that there's like a high school and there's even like a younger student that you could start to work with as because it starts even earlier than that, probably the idea that, you know, you this is a hard thing to get into. Um, so it's probably like a lot of expansion opportunities, even within that idea, I would think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about your experience at Cornell. Are there, were there things at Cornell that you think helped shape you as an entrepreneur, either classes or experiences outside of class or specific people or anybody that was supportive or perhaps your experience as a student and struggling was one of the things that, you know, encouraged you to do this. What, what about your Cornell experience has kind of shaped the way where you are? 
Yeah, I mean, I think studying computer science or like any engineering field. I mean, I think this can this can apply to other majors as well. But I think as long as you're challenging yourself day in and day out, whether it's homework or, or projects, extra credit, or being in extracurricular activities, like there's nothing that prepares you more for entrepreneurship than actually creating something from nothing or solving really hard problems. And so I can speak specifically to my computer science curriculum where everything is hard. Like, like it's just everything is hard. And you're building things mostly from scratch. And so you know, spending 30 hours a week trying to figure out an algorithms problem set prepared me for spending 40, 60 hours a week now, you know, trying to just figure out how to run a company, right? And so, right. so I think that those are the principles from, I guess, just being in a rigorous program um, that can apply to entrepreneurship, but nothing beats actually creating something from the ground up, which running URMC, I think was a big part of my experience at Cornell, as well as co-founding Black entrepreneurs and training. So like building something from nothing and growing it and scaling it and managing a team, like those are actually the most helpful things because a lot of, a lot of what I'm doing now is really dealing with people, mm-hmm. selling and things like that. So you can solve problems, you can kind of finish your, your homework and that kind of gets you in this mind of, I think, persistence, right? So believing that you can solve it and actually working to getting that answer. But so much of what I do now is about working with people and extracurriculars were, was that outlet for me. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the personal side of how you function and how you make your life work with all these major things that you're doing. So do you have some habits that you do every day or um, some things that you have gotten into the habit of doing that you think are really helpful for moving things ahead in your business and your life? Um, I wish I had that answer that was like, oh, I wake up at 6 a.m. and I do this. <laughs> that. <laughs> I don't. Um, I think generally... It isn't even really a habit. I think the way I look at it is like, I've gotten in tune with my strengths and and knowing when I'm at my best in terms of performance. And so I lean in on that heavily. So for example, like my workday starts at 12 midday, right? That's just me, right? I I can't do mornings. Mm -hmm. And so I do 12, so usually like around six to seven, but then I have a spurt of like energy usually at midnight from midnight to two. So if I, if there's like a document I have to do, or I'm creating the deck for my board meeting, it'll usually be in that 12 to two timeframe at midnight. And that's just how I'm super productive. Right. And so, you know, things like that, I think it's less about the habits. For me, it was about knowing, you know, what gets me to peak performance and where my strengths are and really doubling down on that. And so even that also helps with hiring too, because I'm super honest with myself about what I can't do. And that makes it easier for me to identify, you know, who we need to hire and why. So yeah, that's, that's what I've been been learning and acting on in at least this first year. Right. I think that is really important to know how you function. And I bet some people on your team also have that late night bug because it feels like a lot of CS students are in that same mind frame. So if you have like 15 minutes of free time during your day, what would you do with that? 15? I mean, I'm honestly, I'm going to be on Twitter. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> that's, that's Twitter. I mean, Twitter has become this blend of media for me where I can laugh, I can learn. And I wish I had a third L that would just round that, <laughs> that phrase out. But 
it really, if you use it right and follow the right people, you can really get everything out of the platform in terms of a social network, right? I think it's becoming more like a LinkedIn where I'm learning a lot from other CEOs on there. They're making threads. Um, I'm watching funny videos from different meme accounts, right? And things like that. Um, I'm getting updated on the latest news, right? Maybe the last L is latest news. Um, so that to me, I've spent a lot of time on Twitter um, more recently and less on other social media platforms. But, you know, that's that's kind of what I what I usually do. If I, if I have more than 15 minutes, though, I'm going to try and play some video games if I can squeeze some. <laughs> yeah. That's good. So you at least still make time to do that if you have a little bit of spare time. So you're good about, like, taking a break if you really need a break. Oh, for sure. I mean, I six months ago, I was, my schedule was even a little bit better than it is now. It was like 12 or 11 11 to six, I'd be mainly doing cosplay work. And then from like seven to midnight, I'd be playing video games straight, like just every day. I should, and then the weekends would be like 18 hours. <laughs> wow. So yeah, so I, it was definitely much better than I'm getting back into it now. Are there any tools that you use? I know you said you're on Twitter, which is like a really useful thing for you in terms of your business. Um, are there any tools you use, any software, or like any programs, any like physical things that you really use that have been really helpful to you? in your life that you would recommend to other people? Yeah, I mean, I think from a work standpoint, like Airtable, Asana, Airtable is huge. I recently came across this software called Pitch that helps you make decks better and faster and easier for people like me who can't really design. Also use Notion for both personal and professional purposes. So Notion is kind of like a uh, it's a software that kind of organizes documents um, a little bit better than Google Drive, I guess I would say. It's kind of easier to find things and click through and it kind of makes wikis mm -hmm. so that you're creating pages, but you can like go back or forward and just really easily find information. And it's super, it's like has a lot of design features as well. So I can share a PDF of a Notion page and it'll look like a deck. Like it'll just look that visually oh, wow. appealing. So that's nice. Yeah. So those have really helped out. I live in my calendar as well. So everything is planned out for most of my days who I'm meeting with and when I'm doing deep work that isn't really uh for meetings but I still block off the time to at least know what I'm doing but yeah those are and obviously slack thing. because you're oh yes whole yes. thing is in slack <laughs> how can I forget how can I forget our whole community is in slack so yeah I live on slack as well right yeah I think that's really helpful because I think there are sometimes that are there are tools that people have found useful and you can waste a lot of time trying a tool that is not useful for you but just to hear somebody else talk about it is Helpful. Yeah. So you read a lot of things from other people. Do you read books? Do you read articles? Do you read tweets? Like, what do you, if you're, if you're going to read something, you know, as a CS person, I wonder, like, if you're going to read something, like, where do you go to find, like, useful information? Yeah, so I digest the content from Twitter for sure. And I think the rise of Twitter threads have made things that used to be articles a little bit more easier to digest and select into, you know, opt into. So most things come from Twitter. I just read a book the other day about kind of organizing and how being, you know, tidying up your space can help just all aspects of your life. And so that was a book. Um, Do you remember what that book was called? It was like The Art of Tidying Up. There is a oh, book called The Art of Tidying Up. Marie Kondo. Oh, Marie Kondo. Yes. She tells you like yeah. roll up your yes, clothes yes, yes, and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I thought her book was great <laughs> yeah, too. Exactly. Yeah. So it's amazing. It is yeah. amazing. So yeah, I read that. I mean, I also listen to podcasts and also watch video uh, YouTube videos. So uh, this is podcast now that was started by 
couple tech investors um, called the All In Podcast, and I watched the video of it. It's just been really good to kind of get a, a, a some commentary on current events and, and different topics that are not from people who are kind of like trained to be on a TV and do this in a very formal way, like just some four people that, you know, I look up to and have had success just, just talking about these topics that I care about in a very diverse way too. Like they all don't have the same views. Like I've really leaned in on that type of content a little bit more nowadays where, you know, the big media companies are kind of super polarized and you know, it's, it's always an agenda behind, you know, every article or video. So, you know, getting that more organic content directly from people that I look up to has been, has been my strategy. Right. So you mentioned a little while ago that so much of your job now is getting, is working with people and managing people and selling to people. Are there things that you've learned through your experience that help you learn, like, how do you, how do you get people to do what you want them to do or um, to act the way you want them to? Or like, have you learned any psychology that you feel like is helpful for entrepreneurs to know as they're moving forward? Yeah, I think the best way to, I mean, I could talk for days on this, but the best way to summarize it is really just to think, like to think about every person you talk to, you interact with as yourself in a way, like, like you have motives, you have objectives when you want to hire somebody, when you want to sell to somebody, like, remember that they are in the same boat, like they also have their own set of objectives. And so instead of waiting for both of you to kind of give, like, just be the first person to kind of commit to learning what they need, the other person needs, and kind of speaking that language first, um, because it'll get you further faster, right? And so I think whether, it, whether it's an employee, and that you're like, I really want you to do X versus Y. Remember that, you know, they have their own goals for career progression and their own ways of doing things. Um, they have their own working styles. And so start with that, like start with understanding who they are and what their goals are. And obviously your job is to, I think making it seem like the person at the other side of the table is coming up with the idea or making the decision is like the best thing you could do, right? Like if you, you're in a sales conversation, it's, it's as if the other person is selling you on why they should be your customer, like you're doing it right, right? And that, that just comes with speaking the other person's language. And that starts with learning what their goals are. And that's probably not hard for you in your, your organization because you feel so strongly about it. So it's not like you're trying to get people to do something that you don't really agree with or you don't, you don't, you don't know is going to be like incredibly good for them in the long run. I will say, though, that the success that you have can kind of be a blessing and a curse where, okay, we built something at Cornell that worked. A lot of people wanted it. But now I'm taking all these basic fundamental principles of building a business for granted where I'm like, Three months ago, I was thinking about the conversation I'm having with potential partners. And I'm like, the way I'm approaching these conversations isn't the way that you should approach sales conversations. Like no salesperson would, will tell me to do that, right? Because I think I was going in just assuming that everybody's going to say yes because of what we were doing and the success, success we had. But every new conversation is an, is an entirely new uphill battle. And so I had to like check myself a little bit and say, no, you need to treat everyone as a new customer that deserves the explanation as to why they should partner with you um, or why they should work with you at all. And so whether that's hiring new people or working with a new customer, I think just for me, like the more success you have, it's actually more important to kind of go back to these principles and not rest on that uh, because it could actually hinder their success uh, with those conversations. That's interesting because it seems obvious to you, but someone who doesn't know about how you've started this all and what it really entails, it was, it's not going to be so obvious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And 
And another thing that I've dealt with too is like, it's also um, the person I'm speaking to isn't always the decision maker. So, so it's more important that I, I, I really explain what's going on because if, if we, if I talk to somebody and they just automatically get it and I don't explain all the details, then they're going to go back to their manager and not explain any details and they're going to get a no. Right. So I, I gotta, you know, make sure I'm on my game and really making sure I hit the, hit the points, no matter how good the conversation feels, no matter how successful or obvious I think the opportunity is. Cause at the end of the day, somebody has to make a decision based on certain, certain data. So I'm sure throughout your conversations with millions of people, and then as people who are investing in your, in your organization, that people have given you all kinds of advice, good advice, bad advice. Can you think of some of the best advice that you've gotten either about your company or about other things, and then perhaps some of the worst and where, where those came from and, and, you know, how you put those into use in your organization? Or in your life? So some of the best advice that I've gotten, it really wasn't direct advice. It was kind of, it's kind of, I'm going to phrase it as just themes that I've, uh, I've noticed in the people that have supported us um, and kind of where they, what they encouraged me to do. So one thing is this notion of like doubling down on the people that are believers, right? I think as entrepreneurs, you want, you want everybody to buy your product. You want everybody to invest and anybody that says no, you, you kind of, tend to fight to get them to say yes. And what I learned really early on was the power of having champions of your cause. Instead of spending an extra hour trying to convince that to turn out no one to say yes, like take an extra hour on the person who already said yes to get more yeses through them, right? To like get introductions or ask for advice or help or strategy from the people that are already behind what you're doing. I mean, that was one of the, the biggest time savers as well. Cause I'm like, okay, this person doesn't get it talk to you in a year or two, or maybe never, right? Like that's not, I'm not super focused on that anymore. Cause when I do get a yes, I just double down on that. And what happens is the yeses, the yeses actually turn the other no's into yeses where I'm like, I don't even have to fight to kind of convince that no into yes. Cause one of our partners who already said yes are kind of talking to them and having this conversation for me saying, oh, we did it. And this is how it went. You should do it too. Right. And mm -hmm. so on a personal level as well, I had a mentor um, who's built an organization that was super similar to us, but for black professionals. So, you know, mid-level engineers, and he's been my mentor from day one. And that's a great example of how you can double down on, on really the true believers, right? Because I spent an hour with him per week, just building that relationship and strengthening it. And it was him who introduced me to like 20 to 50 people, mm. one of them being the CEO of the company that's incubating us, right? So I could have went down some other routes and be like, okay, he believes, okay, let me go find some other people to believe when I could, you know, as opposed to just doubling down on that relationship and getting more out of it. So that's, that's one thing that I would recommend a lot of entrepreneurs do because I, I see it all the time. Like you get no's and you're like, but why are they saying no? And how can I get them to say yes? It's like, no, you have people who care about you and like want to support you right there. Like right, spend right. more time there. Focus on them. Yeah, that makes sense. And then just like bad advice or not so helpful. I mean, I think this is probably more from more personal level, not even from a company level. Like I think I've gotten advice in the past that just not everyone supported the idea of me following my passion to do this thing. And I think that's in general, just terrible advice. And I know that you know, not every job out there pays well. And obviously many parents are always thinking about, oh, are, are they going to be able to move out of our house, you know, at some point? And, you know, are they going to have a career? And I think I'd like to believe that a lot of that stuff figures itself out because if you're just really great at what you do, 
I want to believe that, you know, the opportunity and the financial prosperity will come. It's actually detrimental to put yourself in a career that you hate because you won't actually make it to the top or actually find career growth because you hate it, right? And you may not be as great um, in that. And then there's also the idea of, of your mental health and kind of happiness, right? If you also hate, I talk to people that cry after work. Like I, I will net that will never be a thing that I do mm. like ever. Right. Like I just can't and, and and I understand that every situation is different, but I think generally, I think as a society telling a lot of young people to kind of do traditional things to kind of get security out of the the workforce. And I think it's hurting a lot of them, especially now where there's a more heightened awareness of mental health. And so they're they're, they're suffering now because of that advice. And so I I, I always like immediately when somebody, you know said something along those lines of like, oh, you should go be an engineer for 10 years or why are you trying to go into diversity space or this, this and that? I, I, I completely shut down because I was just like, you're not listening to me. <laughs> you're not listening to, to the opportunity here and what I, I want to do. I'm passionate about this. So if you're not going to help me f- make it work, right, and kind of be on the side of helping me figure out how to do it, then conversation has to end here. And it's good you're able to do that. I think there's some students who would be like, Oh, you know, maybe they're right, you know, not so self-assured that this is the right thing for them to do. And so it's because it's risky to take that leap. And if you don't have any, if everybody's telling you better not do it, then it it takes a strong person to do it. So good for you. Thank you. I should ask you in the the beginning, but do you have like a personal mission statement that you think about when you, um, doesn't have to be your company mission statement, but your own like mission statement about your, your life or what you want to, what you want to do? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think... I've been thinking about this recently as well, just as I think about my career in the long term. And I think ultimately what I want to do, I mean, you can't really quantify this, but ultimately what I want to do is help specifically more black and brown, unrepresented, marginalized groups and young people in particular to reach their potential. And, and by that, I mean, I think I looked at a lot of what was happening around me and what I saw, like, obviously you could, you could call it different things like retention or attrition, like all these buzzwords. But what I saw when I saw a student, you know, not performing as well in this class that they really wanted to take, or, you know, leaving the major of computer science um, or not starting a company because of financial reasons, I look at them and I see kind of them right now. And then I see this kind of like ghostly other version of them and like that path that's like leading them to fulfillment and success and happiness. And I, like, I, it gets, it, I kind of get emotional thinking about the fact that there is this future, this path that you are not going to take because of these other reasons that may be out of your control. And that like hurts me like that, that, that hurts to just see people um, not reach their full potential. And so doing better at trying to like really figure out, like hone in on the statement, because I do think about that, but untapped, like helping young black students reach their potential I think is really what it comes down to for me. That gets me gets me up in the morning, um, specifically when it comes to tech, computer science, and starting companies. That's awesome. Those are the main questions that I had on my little list of things I wanted to make sure I chatted about. But are there other things about your um, about anything about your organization or your experience at Cornell or anything that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure we we include? If this is intended for, you know, the students that are considering entrepreneurship, people that are kind of early thinking about it, I mean, you know, tomorrow is too late. Like, I think the idea of waiting for the right time doesn't exist. And and one thing that I told one of my friends recently that I reflected on was that 
what I've learned in the past nine months, you would probably need like 15 to 20 years of work experience to learn. And, and the reason I thought of that was because something that even I said as an undergrad was, okay, I'm going to work in industry for three years and then I'll start my company. And it's like, what do you really think, ask people who have worked for three years in industry, what they've done? It's probably just specifically that role. But when you're starting a company, you have to know about legal, HR, operations, sales, market, like you have to learn all these things that would literally take you decades to learn if you, right. if you tried to do it within an organization. So it's like, even if you wait five years, 10 years, you're still not going to be ready. You're never going to be ready. You just have to do it. So just do it. <laughs> Nike. Right, right, right. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. And how can people find your organization? Yeah. So colorstack.org, O-R-G. So colorstack.org um, on Twitter and Instagram. And we're also on LinkedIn. Our website is colorstack.org. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been so great to talk to you and to hear about what you're doing. It's really inspirational to hear about how you are so committed to this goal and how many people you're probably going to change their lives. So that's awesome. Thank you. That's, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to this episode of Startup Cornell, a podcast exploring the bold entrepreneurial ideas coming from our students, faculty, staff, and young alumni. For more information, visit our website at eship.cornell.edu.